Okay, well, we are combining classes today. So, Jeremy's family is a little under the weather. Now, that's going to be a statement made for a while about different people. And it's a common statement in this time of year. So just don't think immediately someone's dying of COVID-19 because they're under the weather, okay? All right, just wanted to make that simple statement. It's that time of year where people get sick. And believe it or not, in America, we do get sick from other things than COVID, right? So no need to worry. Please pray for them uh, because it's sick. But um, there's a few families that are out today. Yes. We're scheduled today because Jeremy was scheduled to teach either preaching, and so he wasn't prepared to teach Sunday school. So we're just going to combine uh, into Romans, okay? So we are in Romans chapter number four. We just started Romans chapter four, number four. We'll do a quick recap and then we'll get in but let's pray first lord we thank you so much for your word we thank you for this amazing book lord that you have written to us to give us clarity on salvation clarity on justification and on so many things that are important doctrines in our life lord and we are so grateful for you for this book in your name amen all right, so just as a recap, Romans starts off with a greeting, and then it gets into almost immediately in verse number 8, starts talking about the sinfulness of man and how sinful man is. And that um, goes through all the way until chapter 3 in verse 20. And what Paul is endeavoring to do is to talk to two different groups of people. He's talking to the Jews and he's talking to the Gentiles and he's making sure that everyone understands everyone is sinful in the sight of God. There is no one that escapes sin in God's sight. Every person, uh, whether you're Gentile or Jew, is a sinner. And he goes through, it doesn't matter if you're um, open about your sin, it doesn't matter if you're religious, it doesn't matter where you are in your life, if you're wealthy, if you're poor, if you're religious, if you're not, you all are encompassed under this sin and everyone is a sinner. And it, it goes into a, a list um, in chapter 3 and verse number 10. It says, There is none righteous. And in case you were not understanding what he's saying, he says, Not even one. Okay? So there is none righteous. Not even. There's a paper right there. Right behind you. There you go. Not even one. And then it goes through this list all the way down to verse 18, talking about there's none that do good, there's none righteous, all are under sin. And basically, the first three chapters, for the most part, is a condemnation or a judgment upon the world. That we all are under sin. No one can do anything 
but sin because that is what we are uh, under. Okay, so Paul makes it very clear in these chapters. And then in chapter number three, halfway through, he begins to talk about the very, very important doctrine uh, that we are justified by faith. Okay, and he starts that off in verse number 21 of chapter number three. And that goes down through 26 and really clearly spells out that we are all under sin, but with a belief in Christ, we have this gift of salvation and something we're going to talk about today and uh, throughout the next few chapters is this gift of salvation is a very important aspect. And we find that there in verse 24 being justified as a gift by the grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. So it is a gift given to us. Okay, And then in verses 27 through 31 is the next little section and it talks about, it goes in great with what Tyler, or I mean uh, Jeremy taught last week, which is that we cannot boast in our salvation. And he makes very clear statements that we cannot work for our salvation. We can do nothing uh, in and of ourselves. It is a gift of God completely. Uh, for our salvation. And Paul makes that very clear. And then today, as we get into chapter 4, he uses an illustration, two different men, and then he makes a point within a, a point in the middle of this section uh, himself. But he uses an illustration here of the Old Testament. Okay, and so that kind of gives you just a brief catch up of where we're at. Now, that was several weeks of teaching and very in depth. Uh, for those of you that are in Tyler and Jeremy's class, if you want to stay up on our class, and the same goes for our, the class that's in Romans, uh, these are all recorded, okay? And so you can hear the teaching of Romans uh, on our website, and you can hear Jeremy and Tyler's class as well to, to stay up on both. So if you want to, if you're torn, you're like, I really want to be in Jeremy and Tyler's class because I really want to get grounded in, in what the church believes in the doctrines of the Bible. But man, I really want to be in Romans. You can. Only one that you can be in live and the other one you can hear over uh, the uh, computer. Okay? So just make sure that you are aware of that. All right? So starting here in verse uh, chapter 4 in verses, we're going to go through verses 1 through 3 to start off. So if someone would like to read Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Okay, go ahead. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, so Paul here is bringing up what we would say if you look at the top of your paper. It says Abraham is used for an illustration because he is a prominent figure in the Old Testament. Whether you were Jew or Gentile, you would have... Obviously, if you were Jew, you knew Abraham, right? He was your father, uh, your, in the, the line of your 
nation has come from him. If you were Gentile, you probably had some understanding of who Abraham was just through history and, and knowing the, the Jewish history. So both sides would know who Abraham was. One might know a little bit more than the other, but Paul here is bringing up a prominent figure of the Old Testament to drive the point home that Abraham was not saved by works, but he was saved by faith. Okay, So as I was looking at this, I thought, well, let's look back at some things that we know about Abraham. And that would give us some thoughts to, to think about and to understand maybe where Paul is going here. Okay, So what do we know about Abraham? Where was Abraham born? Do we know? Come on, Bible scholars. We know where Abraham was born. Come on. Where was he born? Ur. Okay. So Abraham was born in Ur of the Chaldeans. It was located in where? Mesopotamia. Okay. So those are your blanks. Ur and Mesopotamia. And you'll find that there in Genesis chapter number 11. Uh, the latter, there in 27 and 29. We're not going to read that. Um, but that's where you find. This is where Jesus or God finds uh, Abraham. Okay, or Abram at that time. We also see there in point number two, and this is, this is important to, to just lay out because we want to understand who he was and, um, before and after uh, he was saved. Okay, So in the point number two there, he was a worshiper of idols. Okay? So that was what was known of the Ur of the Chaldeans, that place. They were foreign god. They didn't worship the god uh, as we do. They worshiped foreign idols. Uh, and if you want a reference for that, you can go to uh, Joshua 24. Okay, Joshua 24 and verse number 2 talks about um, Abraham being a worshiper of foreign gods. Okay, with, the, with his other fathers and, and people that were associated with him. Okay, and so God calls Abraham not because Abraham was worthy of being called. This is important to realize. A lot of people think, well, Abraham was probably chosen because he was an upstanding guy that really loved God. And God said, I'm going to use Abraham to start this nation that's going to bring about the, redeem the Redeemer uh, several years, or several thousand years later. Okay? That would not be a true statement. Abraham was a, in a pagan world and lived a pagan life worshiping foreign gods. Okay? So when God chooses an individual to serve him, it's not based upon their merits. It's all based upon God. And that's something that we need to understand. That God makes choices based upon His choice alone, not upon us. Because if God were to choose us based upon us, how many of us would ever make it on His list? Right? So we would, there's really no reason for any of us to be here if God chooses us based upon us. Because we would never make it on that top shelf list. Okay? And so that, that's just an important aspect to understand. 
Okay, he leaves uh, at the age of 75. Okay, we see that in Genesis 12, 4. He goes to Egypt during a drought. And some of you know the, the life of Abraham, but I'm just kind of... And there is so much squished in between what I have here. And even after uh, point number eight, there is a ton. Obviously, this is not a lesson on Abraham by himself. And so I just wanted to bring out some key, some key points. There's some papers over there on the, the table. So, <clears throat> um, but anyways, he goes to Egypt because of a famine and he lies to the Pharaoh about his wife being his sister to save his life. Okay, so he's following God. He's, he's going to the land that God has promised him, uh, but he's still struggling with this, uh, how, how to trust God and, and how all of this stuff is going to work out. And so we see Abraham's just his humanity and who he is. And he lies about his wife being his sister. And, and that's a big fiasco that happens there in Egypt. And you can read about that in Genesis 12 as well, 10 through 20. All right, God promises him there, uh, point number five, a son. God promises him a son, and he would become the father of a great nation. Is your, your blanks. Son and great nation are your two blanks. Why, if you remember, why was it a big deal that God promised Abraham a son? His age? But why would that matter if he was old or not? What was what was the issue with Abraham? He had no he had no sons, right? So Abraham didn't have any children, and and in this chapter here, in, in um, Genesis 15, in this area, he's older, and he's telling God that my someone born in my household, a servant, is going to be my heir because I have no sons. And he's promised a son at the age of 75. His wife is just behind him in age. And uh, there's a little bit of like, eh, yeah, that's, that's, that's really going to happen. Okay? And here it says, and this is where um, Paul is pointing to in, his, um, in this chapter 4 in verse number 3 is pointing to, and if we want to turn there, Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 6. This whole chapter is a great chapter on uh, understanding uh, God's purposes and what He's doing. But in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 um, is where we find this quote. Uh, Romans 4, 3 says, For what does the Scripture say? And the Scriptures say, uh, and what he's quoting here is Genesis 15, 6. Um, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Um, and in, in my Bible, it says, uh, was reckoned to him. The same, the same idea. Okay? So Genesis 15, 6 has, it's a direct, almost a direct... Um, Phrase from the Old Testament speaking of Abraham believed God and that belief was what credited to him for righteousness. 
Okay, now we're going to come back to that in a minute, but I wanted to make sure that we understood where that fits in and why we're, we're bringing that up is Abraham is mentioned in verse 3 of Romans and that direct correlation here is in Genesis 15.6. Okay, uh, he enters into a blood covenant with God. Okay, in, in the latter part of Genesis 15. Okay, and then he falls again. So he's promised his son. He's believed. He has trusted God. Okay. He falls again into sin uh, with his wife's handmaiden. Okay. Uh, advised by his wife. Okay. His wife's barren. That's your blank there. And he married Hagar, which was an Egyptian handmaid, with the hopes that he would father a son through her. Now, most of us know the the um, story here that Sarai um, is obviously they're getting old. It's been close to 25 years since God has made the promise, uh, and while they're still not having a son, they're they're getting way old. Uh, in their years, okay, this uh, Abraham was in his uh, late 80s when he had uh, uh, a child with her, okay, with Hagar. And this, I want to, I'm bringing this up. Now, again, there's a lot after this. There's a lot in between that we're just not talking about. But what I wanted to mention, and this is in Genesis 16, that you can read this account. <coughs> um, I want to bring this up is because we see that Abraham falls and is not doing what is right. Uh, but nowhere do we see Abraham is now, it, it said, well, no longer are you uh, uh, redeemed or no longer are you saved or no longer are you justified. Uh, no, none of that is ever stated about him. And actually, in, in several places in the New Testament, it talks about Abraham and his faith in Christ or in God is what uh, is it ultimately was his salvation and, and made him righteous. Okay, I wanted to bring all of that out so that we understand nowhere do we see in Scripture where Abraham does something to keep his salvation or to earn his salvation. Where, what have we read this morning that shows that he has done anything that would deserve what he's been given? We haven't read any. And you can't read anything in Abraham's life that would say, well, right there he earned it or this he earned. No. Okay? Nothing in Abraham's life earned him salvation. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. His belief. And that is what we're going to really begin to uh, look into here in the next several weeks in our class. Paul endeavors. This is teaching that is so critical to the Christian faith and to our doctrine. So Paul doesn't spin just a little snippet in here and writes and says, hey, by the way, you're justified by faith. Let's move on. He really labors the point to make sure that each person understands what it means to be justified by faith alone. Faith alone, not faith plus. 
And Paul does that through uh, Romans. He does it in Ephesians. He does it in Colossians. That we cannot boast. And he brings that boasting up often. What is one of the things that God absolutely despises and hates? What is one of the sins that He cannot pride? Pride, right? Something about me. It's all about me and what I've done. Last week in our class, I made the statement that if salvation depended on .001% on us, Okay? So 99.99% of salvation relied on God and 0.001% relied on us. When we get to heaven, we're going to say, yeah, I did it. I was a part of that, right? Because we're humans. We're humans and humans are known to boast. We're going to boast in something that we've done. And God wants to eliminate that by the teaching that we are justified completely through His faith. And now, you can read here where it says, hey, you know, He, he believed. And so, hey, where there you go. He had to do something. He had to believe. Well, when you dive into understanding what Romans is teaching, God even enables him to believe. And so even his belief is not a work of himself. It is still a work of God. Even the belief uh, that Abraham has is a work of God. And so uh, this can be what we would call maybe some comfort uh, some differences and even within Christianity on the, the, the idea that man has to do something and that something is belief. That's something that man does. And that would mean that we would have something to boast in is because we have done something we believed. And that would be something that we could hold and say, well, at least I believed in God. And again, pride would set in. And so God eliminates that by the idea that God is the one that generates completely salvation into uh, humanity. Okay? So the, the, the idea that I gave here with uh, Abraham showing where you came from and a little bit after he was counted righteousness that he still fell into sin, God gave him a covenant and then he fell into sin again and of unbelief, meaning that it was he didn't have to keep doing things to be saved. He didn't have to continue to, to act in a certain way or be a certain way to uh, continue his salvation or his justification. He was justified by his faith in Christ that was given or God that was given to him. Okay, so I've made a lot of statement there. If we have some questions on that or some maybe some comments or something I can clarify, uh, feel free to, to ask that at this time. Okay? Abraham was justified in verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, what does it say? He would have something to boast about, but not before God. So he could boast to humanity, he could boast in front of everyone, couldn't boast in front of God if works had anything to do with salvation. 
Now, how many of you have either been raised or uh, know someone or have been in a different situation where uh, works was definitely a part of the salvation um, that you had to have? At any, any part of yourself has to work. Right? You had to you had to do something. Some religions, it's major, right? I mean you have to really um, follow a strict set of rules to obtain salvation. And if you break them, then you're teetering on the line of being saved or not. Some hide it or they or they don't necessarily I wouldn't say hide it. Maybe they make it a little less. Uh, noticeable, but it still would be considered a work that a human would have to do. Any any thoughts? Any anybody want to give some maybe examples of when they've uh, of their own life of when they believe that or had. even an illustration of that in our world. Where do we find where your good outweighs your bad and so then you won't be found guilty? Andy and I go and rob a bank, right? But they know that Andy and I uh, serve at the church, right? I'm, I'm a pastor. Andy, Andy serves on the, the uh, security team and, and he does on, he greets and he does all of these things. So Andy and I go rob a bank but we go and stand before the judge and we say, really, I mean, I'm a pastor. I teach God's word. I, I give. You know, I gave of the money I stole to the poor. So, you know, that, that kind of helps, right? What, where, where do we see any examples anywhere in history where, well, yeah, I guess you're good out of the way you're bad. And so we'll forgive you this time for robbing the bank. No, that, we don't see that. But we want to tie that thought logic into Scripture where my good is going to outweigh my bad and God's going to look at it and say, well, yeah, you did a little bit better than you did bad. So, yeah, we'll let you in. It, it, just, it makes no sense, right, Andy? Actually, it's just it's hypocrisy, basically. I mean, it happens. It is. Um, when I was really young, I was arrested for a DUI when I was in the Army. I was during that storm. And um, I had no excuse whatsoever. And I did go in front of the judge. And I basically just said that. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. It will never happen again. And that just did actually explain the record. You know, not that I didn't pay a price. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I, I think that we're all guilty. 
Sure. Before a righteous and a pure yeah, and, that, and that's what Paul endeavors, painstakingly endeavors to do in chapters 2 and 3, 1, 2, and 3, is to line out how sinful humanity is. In that without God, all we can do is sin. It says it in verse um, chapter 3 and verse uh, 11, it says, There's none that seek God. Okay, and so no one seeks God. Well, what does that mean? It means that no one on their own seeks God. It can't mean anything else. If you read something else into that, you're not reading it correctly. No one on their own seeks God. Okay, All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Now, when we read this, and we talked about this um, in our class, but I'll bring it up for those that weren't in there. When it says none can do good, we brought this out. Is that a true statement in our world today as humanity looks at humanity? Can humanity do things that are good? Yes or no? Sure. Yeah. Right? Humanity as a whole can do things that are good. They can... They can give to the poor. Uh, you can pull over on a rainy day. Uh, it's pouring rain or snow blizzard and someone's uh, got a blown tire on the side of the road. And you can get out and, and, and help them and that you don't know them. That's a good deed, right? Uh, whether you're saved or unsaved, that's a good thing to do for someone. So humanity can do good things. But at the end of the day, anything that humanity does is going to be considered as filthy rags in the sight of God because humanity never does anything unless it's pointing to me, myself, to give me credit for something. And that's what the driving idea here is with Paul, is that no one does good because everyone seeks to glorify themselves within themselves. So even your good deeds are considered sin in the sight of God because ultimately you're glorifying yourself in doing the good deed. Does that make sense? So when he makes the statement that no, do, no one does good, it's in the sight of God and how God views it because God sees the heart of, uh, of our actions and understands our heart and what we do. And so... Nothing we can do uh, is uh, good in the sight of God. It is as filthy rags. And so when you read through uh, Romans 3 uh, and you see how sinful humanity is, you come to the realization is there is nothing I can do to earn a righteousness before God because everything I do apart from from what God enables me to do, which is righteous, is sinful. God is the only one that can enable us and bring us alive to do things that are righteous and what are uh, would be considered uh, right in the sight of God. Okay. So, uh, anybody else have any thoughts on this section where Abraham, if he was justified by works, he would have something to boast about. 
Have you ever have you been, have you talked to someone that's maybe a little bit older and is ensconced in, in this, and they argue with you that man has to do something? That is a man-made thought process, and we struggle with that as men and women today, especially in America, right? If I go out and I say, "Hey, I'm going to buy you lunch," you're like, "Well." You know, I got to do something, or I don't want your charity, or you know, all of these statements. I can't handle that. The analogy I gave to to Roy uh, last week is, "Hey, Roy, I'm going to give you my truck." His eyes lit up. He was really excited. <laughs> I'm going to give you uh, Jessica's truck, actually. It's, it's her truck. Uh, my truck's older and beat up. Her truck's nice. But uh, I'm not only going to give him my truck, or Jessica's truck, I'm going to also pay the insurance on it. I'm also going to pay any upkeep on it. I'm going to pay all the fuel on it, where the only thing he has to do is drive it. When he runs the tires out, I'll put new tires on it. That is the gift I gave to Roy. And he was pretty excited. But the only thing I said is, Roy, you have to do X, Y, Z. Whatever you want there, you have to do these things. When did that amazing gift, because that would be a pretty amazing gift, right? Have a brand new truck that you never have to do anything but drive. Um, but when did that become an amazing gift become not a gift? When I said you have to do X, Y, or Z. It's still an amazing gift. And as humans, if I were to offer that to Roy as a, a friend and as a, a, as a human, what are the chances that you would accept that just no problem? As a man, you would say, well, I've got to do something, right? I can't just accept that. that that's way too far out. That's way, that sounds way too what? Good to be true. I, there's no way I could accept that kind of gift from you. I've got to do something uh, to, to help you or to earn it or, you know, to, to at least be part of this. Well, our salvation blows that illustration completely out of the way, right? Our salvation is such a more great gift than that could ever be. Uh, the, the illustration I gave about the truck. And God wants to make it a completely free gift. Why? One of the reasons is because who wants and deserves all of the credit? One, I want you to, I want you to, I, I said it both of them on purpose, who wants and deserves all of the credit is God, right? God not only deserves it, He wants all of the credit for salvation in anything in our lives. And so for us to come apart and say, well... Yeah, well, that's nice, but I've got to do something. Now, there is an aspect to that, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. But for us to say I've got to do something to earn it, takes God, does not take God at His word, and really, uh, at the end of the day, is spits in the face of God to think that we will not accept His amazing gift of salvation that He fully intends to give. Of, of his free. You say something? No? no? Okay. Looked like you were getting ready to say something. Alright, so that is where Paul, he is really slowly, think of justification. This was an analogy I, I saw as I was reading 
and studying. Think of justification as a big 747. Okay, airplane. Massive thought, massive idea, big part of salvation, big part of, of church doctrine is this justification. Think of it as a massive 747. And think of Paul here is laying down the tarmac for that thing to take off and take flight so we understand. It's going to take a lot of tarmac to get that 747 off the ground. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's laying down the foundation of the tarmac so that we can see how justification by faith works and that we have nothing to do with it in our, in our works. Does that make sense? It's a huge idea and Paul is painstakingly taking the time to make sure that we understand it has nothing to do with us. Again, if you read Ephesians, which is written by Paul, I preached a sermon on it not too long ago. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, really lay this point out, but again, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2 talk specifically about we are justified by grace through faith, and this is a what? Gift. Okay, we just had a birthday party for a friend of ours at our house yesterday. He had to do nothing to accept those gifts. But turn one, I guess. He had to turn one to get it. So. Um, but he did nothing. He, he was just there and uh, as a child. And this is the way we should be. As a one-year-old accepting gifts, he didn't think in his mind, what do I got to do to pay them back? Right? No. <laughs> These are great. I got all kinds of toys. I smashed the chocolate cake in his face. It was great. Okay? That is the idea given. It is a gift of God. We cannot do anything of it. Our own. Okay? Alright, so that's the illustration given here by Paul of Abraham. Something that they would know a lot about Abraham. We're going to talk about this hopefully uh, as we close, but we've got to, we got to move on here. Uh, in verse number 4, Paul puts in his own thoughts. Not uh, now to the one who works. Okay, now Paul, sometimes you've got to really read this so you understand what Paul is saying. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a, uh, uh, credited as a what? Favor. Okay, what is the word favor translated into? A gift. Okay, the one who works, his wage is not a favor. Okay, when I, uh, when my uh, employee gets a check from me, he doesn't say, well, thanks for the gift. It wasn't a gift. He worked for it, right? I did not giving him a gift. He did a work and I paid him the hours that he worked for. Okay, and that's what Paul is, is driving home here. No one who works, his wage is not credited to him as a favor. It's not a gift, but it is what is due him. Okay, so if you do something, you're credited for what you've done, right? We all understand that, that have a job. You work, you get a wage. It's not a gift, but it is what uh, is due to you, okay? But to the one, verse number five, but to the one who does not work, 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Paul makes sure he puts that in there. He justifies the ungodly. Has faith, his faith is credited and credited as righteousness. Okay? So you have your just reward in heaven. What is what does Jesus say about the man or man or woman that get to heaven and they say, but Christ, we've done all of these things in your name, uh, and we've done all of these great things. What does he say? Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, what does that mean to us? That's saying that you cannot do enough to obtain salvation. Your works will not. You're, you get your credit on earth. You get your due... Um, what, what is due to you on earth. When you work hard here, and when you try to work your way to heaven, all that you obtain on earth is what you're going to get. But if you try to obtain salvation on earth on your own, you might live an okay life, but when you die, you're going to stand before God and God's going to look at your works and say, I never knew you. It's an important thing to know. Now it says in verse 5, what? But to the one who does not work. I have all kinds of things underlined in my Bible in that one. I, I underlined does and then circled not and then I underlined works again to make sure that we understand this person did nothing to obtain righteousness. He believed and was justified in, in who justifies the ungodly. The one that Paul has been talking about in verse chapter 1, 2, and 3 is who is justified by belief in faith. Okay? This word faith is, is a key element. Believes in Him who justifies the ungodly has faith. His faith is credited to Him as righteousness. The same idea as um, Abraham. Okay? So... Paul, again, very, very slowly and methodically is um, driving the point home that our salvation is based solely on God and a belief in Him who justifies. Okay? Um, your blanks there under Romans uh, 4, 4 and 5. Uh, if a man works, he is given what is due him. He is not given a gift. Okay. If, and then the next point there, if a man does not work, his belief, he will, or he believes, he will be justified as a gift of, of as a gift because of faith. And he, or he will have the righteousness of God. Okay. Making clear the point that we have nothing to do with salvation. It is an entire work of God, justification and righteousness. Okay? And in case we were not fully convinced, he brings it up again uh, one more time and talks uh, and brings up another prominent figure of the Old Testament, which is David. And that is in verses 6 
through 8. Okay? And just as David also spoke of the blessings on the man to whom God credited, credited righteousness apart from works. Okay? So David makes this statement in Psalms. The reference that, again, Paul is, uh, throughout Romans, will bring up uh, scriptures, Old Testament scriptures. And he's referencing here Psalms 32, 1 and 2. Okay? Psalms 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those who lawless deeds have been forgiven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and those sins have been covered. Okay? Some people say, well, the Old Testament people were saved different than New Testament people, right? It's not true. We're all saved by faith through grace. And that would be clearly stated here. Those whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Okay? So your blanks here. Paul again brings up a prominent figure of the Old Testament, David. Um, blessings on the undeserving man. This is called grace. Okay. All this grace. So David here is clearly identifying that this man he has lawless deeds. He has nothing to do of his own accord, but is forgiven by God and covered. His sins are covered or forgotten or forgiven, and is blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Well, why would the Lord not take into account? Because He's been forgiven. We all are deserving of what? Damnation. We all are deserving of hell. Not one person in this room, in this city, in this country, in this world is deserving of salvation. We all deserve. And if you want to argue that, that's great. Just read Romans 1, 2, and 3. And then next week, come back to me and tell me where in Romans 1, 2, and 3 does it say that maybe one person isn't a sinner. We all are deserving of damnation. We do not deserve His mercy. And we never will. It is entirely a gift. Now, unfold this and look at this. <coughs> we need to understand how important it is in our lives that we recognize Christ's amazing gift of salvation, His amazing gift of grace, of faith, because without Him, we are destined, destitute. We have no hope. We sing a song, uh, and I listen to it all the time. My hope is in what? The Lord. How, how scary it would be if that song says, My hope is in what I do. 
that would be scary, wouldn't it? What I do. How many of you know yourself, when you look at your, in yourself in the mirror, right? If you had to count on yourself to get yourself to heaven, how many of you would say, I fell before I probably even wake up in the morning, right? I fell somewhere in my sleep. I know I have. All right? <coughs> we fail miserably. And our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. His righteousness. Not of a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness which derives from God. God's righteousness given to us. Okay. So, um, for those of you that are going to join us uh, in Romans next week, we're going to go through Romans 9 uh, through 14. Okay. Or, sorry, chapter 4, 9 through 14. Or 13. We're going to continue to unfold how justification in faith is an entire work of God. It is not a work of man. We talked about it. I have just a minute here. We talked about it last week and we brought up James. Some of you might be thinking in your mind as you're sitting here, well, what about James? James 2.14 says, or 2.22 uh, says that we are justified not by faith alone, but by works. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. And he actually brings up Abraham. So Paul brings up Abraham and says, Abraham was justified by faith alone and not of works. James brings up Abraham and says, hey, Abraham was justified by works. Oh, no. Well, I guess we'll just throw the Bible away because they don't believe it. They're, not, they're in, in contradiction, right? We'll just close it and say, we'll, we'll read something different. No. If we come to a passage where the two are uh, looking like they don't uh, marry and they're not cohesive, then we need to step back and say, huh, obviously I don't understand. Okay, and so that is why God has put teachers and, and, and resources uh, to the, we can understand. James, again, remember, James is writing to believers. If you look through James, it says several times, brothers, which is referring to believers that, that are already saved. And we understand that James is talking to how we show our salvation. Not how we earn it, but how we show our salvation. It's a very important understanding. Abraham showed his salvation, showed his justification, showed his righteousness by different things he did through his life. And that's what James brings out. What are one of the main key areas that we see Abraham shows that. Later in his life, he has a son and he does what? He takes his son up to a mountain, right? And he's going to sacrifice his only son, the one that was promised to him. He was going to sacrifice him upon an altar uh, in complete obedience. This is showing out his salvation. The way that I explained this to our class last week, and I'll, and I'll close with this, <coughs> and, and if I, some of you have been to my house, some of you haven't, but you all know, kind of by the way I dress, that I really like horses. Actually, the statement would be, I love horses, okay? Some of you heard this last week, so just bear with me. But I really, really love horses. I've loved them since I was a, a itty-bitty child, okay? 
And, I, and I, you guys would know that and you would understand that. And I, I've said that many times, but let's say someone hasn't been to my house. You guys haven't been to my house, right? So you see that I only, and again, this doesn't work for today, but maybe you see me only in, in street clothes or shorts and gym shoes, right? That's where the only thing you see me in. But I tell you, I absolutely like horses. And then I invite you guys over for dinner. You don't see any horses on my wall. You don't see any horses on my property. You don't see a truck or a trailer. You don't see any saddles. You don't see belt buckles. You don't see boots. You don't see anything that would pertain to horses. Would you believe that I really liked them? Or that I loved them? That I was infatuated with them? Would that, would that be something you would say? You'd, go, or you'd get in your car and you'd go home with your wife and say, you know, Mark really said he liked horses. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't see any horses. Right? That would be a thought in your head. That's what James is driving at here. You can't say you're a believer and live as the world in a pagan life and have nothing to do with Christ or live in a Christ-honoring way. That doesn't mean that we don't sin. That doesn't mean that we don't go through valleys in our life where we don't maybe appear as Christians. But you cannot live in a sustained way of uh, sin and hypocrisy towards God and claim Christianity. The two don't jive. So when James talks about we are justified by words, that is in the sight of man. Not in the sight of God. It has nothing to do with our works. Our works are to show our salvation to the world. Does that make sense? So when someone brings up, well, James says you have to do works to be saved, you can clarify that for them and say, no, he's not saying that. He's saying that we show we are saved by our works, not through our works. Okay? And, and um, Paul is saying we are definitely only saved apart from works. Okay? Any closing thoughts or questions? This is deep stuff. Sometimes it's hard to maybe believe because we're humans and we want to do something to earn such an incredible gift. But realize it is a gift and God is the only one that can give such a gift and hold to that gift. You know that the, the thing of me giving a truck to, to Roy, um, that gift really, really sounds good as long as my income is really, really well, right? As long as my income is really, really good and I can sustain that, Roy will be happy. But once the economy takes a dive and I no longer have a good income, that promise doesn't work out real well because I ain't going to pay for his fuel no longer and I ain't paying for his tires and all of those things. And that gift starts to go downhill really quick. But God's gift will stay the same forever. Once you're saved and God... Uh, brings new life into you, He is the one that sustains you and keeps you there. It has nothing to do with us. We're out of self to show what He has done for us. Amen? Okay. Well, you we will uh, convene here in just a few minutes in the auditorium. Praise God. Andy, you want to close this? God, thank you.